Welcome to Hire It Advisor, the Baker Tilly podcast dedicated to providing insightful guidance and leading practices for college, university, and research institution leaders and board members, experts and thought leaders in higher education finance, institutional operations, collegiate athletics and esports, health and wellness, data analytics, and more. Join our podcast host, higher education practice leader Dave Capitano, for bi-weekly episodes to discuss the latest news in higher education and the impact these trends and changes have on the industry. This is where you come to learn what's really going on behind the scenes at colleges and universities across the country. Hello, and welcome back to Higher Education Advisor podcast series. I'm Dave Capitano, Baker Tilly's Higher Education Practice Leader and podcast host. Today, I'm here with my colleague and Collegiate Athletics Risk Advisory Specialist, Adrian Lermet, and our guest, Rick Van Brimmer, Assistant Vice President for Business Advancement and Director of Trademark and Affinity Management at Ohio State University. We're going to explore how Ohio State was ready to prepare student athletes to approach name, image, and likeness opportunities. Welcome, Rick, and thanks for joining the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your role at Ohio State University? Sure. Well, I am an assistant vice president in what we call affinity and trademark management. And that really came about maybe about nine or 10 years ago when we started seeing some of our relationships evolving. I had always overseen trademark licensing and the management of the university's trademark portfolio, our licensing program that makes all the Ohio State t-shirts and sweatshirts, and um, also our merchandising program, which is our vendors in our venues. And then like Nike is a really good example that that is a major relationship in athletics that has evolved into a major relationship across the campus. And our Coke agreement uh, is another contract that I manage that has gone from placement of vending machines and fountains on campus to an interrelated relationship where uh, there's scholarship and research involvement. So that's kind of how our affinity office has evolved over the years. And um, I'll tell you, I have the most fun job at Ohio State and there aren't many like it in the country. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how your office is intersecting with your student athletes now as it relates to name, image, and likeness. So what does that mean for you and your team? Well, literally it is becoming a day-to-day involvement when our student athletes, uh, as they all try to figure it out. And that's everything from the star running back on the football team to women's volleyball player on our top 10 women's volleyball team that they're all trying to figure out where their lane is of how they can monetize some aspect of their involvement here as a student athlete. So we have what we call an NIL SWAT team that is made up a variety of different offices around campus. Uh, It includes the trademark licensing office, which I oversee, and that's my involvement. And then we have our compliance office and a group of attorneys. So uh, we very much take a group approach to the whole idea. Uh, We look at their contracts. We don't, we're careful to say we don't approve their individual deals, but we look at them for conflicts or pieces where they may have, they may have obligated themselves to something that 
would be a violation of NCAA rules or would be a violation of the student uh, policies at Ohio State or may just be something as simple as they've obligated themselves to a venue where they don't know they have to pay rent. So we look at it from a variety of different areas, but not to approve, just to kind of help them navigate on their own. I think that's really interesting. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you and your colleagues decided to bring this kind of cross-representational group together. Was this something that came as a result of the NIL regulatory changes? Is this something that pre-existed? Well, under Gene Smith, our director of athletics, it's always been kind of the Ohio State way is that we take group approaches to a lot of the different problems or opportunities that come up. So it wasn't unusual for us to put together a group of what we would call stakeholders or interested parties. But uh, really, our involvement in NIL goes back almost three years at this point. Uh, Gene was part of an NCAA committee that started looking at NIL issues and how the NCAA was going to address them. So our group really started then where we were going like, okay, this is coming. We know it's coming. We're not sure exactly what the date is, where the the switch might be turned on, but we know it would be coming. So we started meeting and talking about, okay, how, how would it impact my area? How would it impact your area? And around the table, just getting input. And then as it got closer, we started actually drafting what we thought would be our policies as a university. How how does what we do for a student athlete look the same or different than we do for a normal student? Or what policies are in place for a staff person that we could apply to a, a student or a student athlete? So we looked at it from a bunch of different ways and really started formulating everything that we thought we would need to address it. And then as everybody knows, we expected a group of rules that would come down from the NCAA. And then when that didn't happen at the 11th hour, and all of a sudden it was, well, you guys go do uh, whatever you think you can do based on the existing laws within your state, or mostly it was looking at state statutes and how they applied. And uh, with the absence of federal legislation, that was what we were left with. So uh, we had, as part of that NIL SWAT team activity, we had actually helped draft what became an executive order here in Ohio, was never passed into legislation. It was signed by the governor as an executive order. And it was a lot of what we had input into. It wasn't exactly what we had drafted, but that gave us at least a roadmap to follow. So share a little bit about what that roadmap looked like and what NIL looks like at Ohio State now. I mean, how did you operationalize what was in the executive order and kind of flow down through policies? How how did you implement that? And again, I'll only speak to Ohio, but it varies state by state about what the individual statutes had given, what permissions they had given to the student athlete. In our case, for instance, one of the things is we cannot assist them. I can't act as Chris Olive's agent and going like, hey, Chris, let's go do a bobblehead deal. I'll try to get you X percentage. And on the other side of the negotiation, I'm dealing with our licensee that makes bobbleheads and negotiating with them. So we were not 
allowed to be in a position where we could actually represent the student athlete. So uh, we dealt with, here's all the other things we'll do on the other side of that equation. And then, so that's just a, that's a good example of something that's in the Ohio statute that may or may not be in others. As I looked around the country, uh, there were several that said that the individual student athlete could not use the logos or trademarks uh, or indicia of their individual universities. In our case, they can, but with a licensee, they couldn't transfer those rights. They couldn't decide, hey, uh, I'm Chris Olave or I'm Trevion Henderson. I'm going to go do a commercial with a car dealer in my Ohio State uniform, and that dealer may not be a sponsor. So we had another piece in ours that said, you know, the university had the right to at least approve or disapprove the actual use of trademarks. Um, we've been able to do that. We've got good examples of how both of those things have happened for our students. So how are you educating not only your athletes on what their rights and their roles and the responsibilities are, but also coaches, um, parents, um, <laughs> should they want to involve themselves? Yeah. And then, you know, from a compliance side, how are you monitoring to make sure that people are doing what they need to be doing? address the compliance piece first. So we set up a system and a lot of schools have also done this. So we use a vendor open doors uh, where the student athlete enters their deals into a portal and said, this is what I'm doing. This is the extent uh, many times they'll, they'll actually show us that contract. And we look at that from a compliance standpoint. We look at it from a trademark standpoint. We look at it from a legal standpoint. And uh, I'll, I'll use a real life example. So we have a student athlete who signs an individual deal with Adidas. Well, we happen to be a Nike sideline school, so there's a conflict. So we advise him or her that, okay, here's the things you can and can't do as a team activity versus your personal activity. So we'll, we'll get involved from that standpoint the compliance people will review that for simply does it violate some other NCAA rule, even though it's allowed under NIL, how does it have to be treated? Uh, as far as meeting with them and being with them, uh, we have had uh, groups of meetings with parents groups. We have, you know, I will go with other administrators and uh, address personally teams, try to explain the whole idea. Uh, group licensing is new to them. They don't do. They don't really know what that is. Uh, so we have to explain how that works. We have uh, regular coaches meetings. We've met with coaches. We've educated our own administrators. We've met with groups of athletes. We have people explaining NIL to each individual team. Uh, when we get into the group licensing, which is more I, my area. I'll go meet and talk to them individually and answer those questions that they might have. And as you can guess, you know, most of the interest is with the higher profile sports, but it isn't exclusive to them. So we're open to uh, meeting and being with all of our student athletes, even on a one-on-one -on -one basis, if we can, to explain but not assist. It's probably exceeded my expectations about how good they are at interpreting what we're trying to tell them. We've also posted uh, tons of information on an actual NIL site on our athletics website. That's available to both our student athletes and it's available to the public because if people are looking to engage our student athletes in an NIL commercial 
uh, relationship, we want them to know our rules and our policies and how they go about engaging that student athlete so that everybody is protected. Any interesting scenarios or deals that have come across you and your team's desk that have kind of caused you to maybe tweak the way you're educating your athletes and any of their parents or coaches? I don't know if it's it's tweaking. We we, we talk about it internally as uh, none of us have walked down this road. So I have used the phrase many times within the SWAT team is pretty much every one of these becomes its own case study. If it doesn't fit neatly inside the state statute and we have to look at it and talk about it and think about it, it becomes the next block in the sidewalk in front of us. And and that's just has been our approach. And it, you know, honestly, that takes more time to do it that way, but we know we set precedent every time we review an individual deal. Some of them are more complicated. I use the Nike Adidas uh, reference. We've had the same thing where we are a Coke school and we have had student athletes that have been approached about alternative beverage choices. Then we have some that are deals that you go, well, that fits inside a category using beverages or supplements where you go, okay, do we owe our student athletes a little education here on you just signed a supplement deal but did you put yourself in jeopardy and maybe from a health standpoint or if you drink or take that will it come up in a drug test that will render you ineligible and you know so they you know we're just making sure that they're answering all those questions as they go through it so as far as tweaking i don't know if those are tweaks but a lot of different things have come up that nobody could have anticipated or deals that you go well, i didn't think about that so uh, we've seen a few of those but by and large they've you know they've been deals for cars with car dealerships or memorabilia deals have been the most lucrative or we've had uh, several really good examples where student athletes have been engaged as spokespeople for existing sponsors who were at the highest level of our sponsorship a bank or a major pizza chain where now a student athlete is in a commercial that where that sponsor already had rights to Ohio State's intellectual property through that level of sponsorship. Now Chris Olave is in that commercial or Haskell Garrett defensive lineman is in a bank ad. So I think it's really cool that you're taking that personal touch, that kind of like one-on-one approach to really educating about not only their rights and responsibilities, but I guess kind of like the downstream impacts, what some of these deals might have, especially like you were saying with the supplements and other things. How are you taking a similar approach to teaching athletes how to build their personal brand? Absolutely. Uh, And that started before uh, NIL activities started. Uh, Really, we've had that kind of program with across all of our varsity teams where Uh, Again, we engaged Open Doors long before we really started the NIL piece where it was, here's things you can do to build your personal brand. And, you know, let's be honest, when we talk about branding with student athletes or students or anybody, I guess, under the age of 25 these days, when you talk about branding, you're talking about how do I build followers 
on social media. So we have had those activities and that is all part of what we call some of our real life lesson learning that we do with our, our athletes across the board is trying to teach them things that will impact their lives off the playing field and long after they've left us as a student athlete. So those were ongoing activities that now, you know, maybe uh, more important from a different aspect, but more important now from an NIL or a, when you start attaching a commercialization aspect to the number of followers. It might have been a bragging point three years ago to have 30,000 followers, but now there's a commercial aspect to it. So I think you bring up an interesting point. It's about growing followers and growing that base. Have you heard from any of your athletes, your student athletes, that maybe it's just too much, that this need to build followers is just adding too much stress? Just curious. Uh, it, it's a great question because the reality is, yes, they, they approach it differently. You know, we have had some very high-level elite athletes that don't pay as much attention to social media as maybe a second team lacrosse player has. And who has more followers? The second team lacrosse player. But that's kind of a choice. And maybe they're just not that kind of person. But yeah, they there's varying levels of engagement. Uh, the thing that we kind of talk about in the group is when you look at the real daily life of a student athlete, there are not tons of hours to be dedicating to your own commercialization activities. Uh, they have a full life. Uh, they have a day off, like in football, it's Monday. So when you talk about a, an elite athlete at the level of a Chris Olave or a Haskell Garrett, you know, two bona fide All-Americans that are commercially attractive to sponsors, okay, what, you know, they can't go shoot commercials on Wednesday and Thursday nights. They've got Monday available to them. They cannot pull that time away and say, well, you know, coach, I'm going to be two hours late for practice on Tuesday because I got to go do this photo shoot. Uh, that's not going to work. So I think it has to fit within a, what is already a very tight schedule. And um, I don't know that we've heard anything where They've been overstressed by it, but I know you can, you know, you can look at their activity and say, okay, they're not overburdening themselves because a lot of this is for most of the athletes, it's the deals have been social media related where they're obligated to make a couple tweets each month or each week in exchange for payment or product, or in some cases, you know, I'll do this for a car dealer in exchange for a lease. I'm just curious, is the mental health impact something that you and your colleagues at Ohio State are watching? I mean, you know, even at the professional level, we're seeing pro football players on the injured reserves right now because they need a mental health break. So I'm just curious if that's going to be something we watch moving forward is you know, just a potential impact of NIL. Yeah, I don't know if we see any direct correlation to it, but, you know, I guess we're fortunate and you know, this is, I think, part of being at a school like Ohio State that all those things are available to our student athletes. They're also available to our student population. But if those things are happening to our student athletes, there is a support system there to catch them. 
I think Ohio State is definitely lucky to have those resources. And it sounds like you guys are ahead of the curve on, on a lot of things. Um, but Dave and I are hearing a lot from other our other higher ed clients about the additional constraints on compliance, um, really to operationalize NIL. So I'm just curious, are there any types of additional pressures that you're seeing that are put on your teams, you know, across the board, whether or not that's around recruiting student athletes, day-to-day operations, any challenges that you're facing? Yeah, uh, other than this has added a new wrinkle just to our daily work life uh, for those of us that are involved in the, the management of the review process. So does compliance have more work to do because of NIL? Yes. Do I have more work to do because of NIL? Yes. Do our legal people have more work to do? Yes. Does Gene spend more time at it? Yes. Uh, you know, the answers are always yes. Whether, and again, nobody knows really where this, this sidewalk that we're building as we walk on it, where it actually goes. But, you know, do we someday in the future have an NIL office? I you know, don't know. We've kidded about that. Like, we sure feel like we need it. But you know, who knows how this settles down over time. You mentioned recruiting, which is really interesting. We don't know exactly how that's playing out. You know, I think we would probably need several years of data and extensive interviewing with recruitable student athletes to say, you know, why did you choose Ohio State or why did you choose Alabama. And, you know, we have those interviews all the time with student athletes. It's like, okay, you know, what was it that attracted you here? Because that helps us with the next level. But uh, does NIL become part of the recruiting process? I think the coaches think it is and it will, but I don't know that we have data that uh, technically supports that at this point. But uh, if you start talking to a five-star recruit quarterback, and is part of their thinking or their family that my opportunities might be better in this city versus that city or this university and their brand versus that university and their brand. It's going to be interesting to see what they say, because I think coaches are believing it will be part of or is not already a part of that process. And then you look at that in conjunction with and, and, you know, for good reason, the the ease that a student athlete has now to enter the transfer portal and and end up in another city in another year, is that a factor? Well, I'm I'm third team at Ohio State, so I'm not not doing anything. I, can, I don't have any NIL deals. But if I transfer here, what's what's that grass look like? Have you seen any of that yet? I'm just curious. I, I don't think we, again, I don't think we have any data uh, that that says that's happening or not happening. I think that will be something that will be, um, I'm sure, to be analyzed. So it sounds like our NIL crystal ball is a little bit fuzzy right now, but I want to pivot <laughs> to, to esports because Esports has been around for a little while now. You think yep. there's anything that we can learn and leverage from our experience with esports and can maybe apply it to NIL in terms of like looking down the road and maybe what could happen? Well, I don't know about looking down the road, but it already told us here's what it looks like when a student athlete can play for the university and monetize themselves. 
because that was happening in esports when we first started looking at creating the esport program at Ohio State, and that same, pretty much that same group was all a part of it. It was well, but these guys are allowed to keep their prize money. You know, they're playing for money, uh, but yet they're also representing us in a, a university versus university setting, much like. Ohio State, Michigan meet on the football field. Ohio State, Michigan meet in the esport arena. But their student athletes were able to keep and make money. And then they had this other life that was their own name, image, likeness, and fame that they were able to take to a totally different area outside the university and monetize that. So it kind of, you know, I don't know that it gave us the roadmap, but it all, it got us all thinking of, well, that's what everybody talks about with, with Division One, Division Two student athletes, that they should have those same opportunities that an eSport athlete has. And you can, you can see where it headed. So did your experience with that kind of influence the infrastructure around that, either for eSports or NIL, that be the same way, the way maybe you approached eSports? Did you take a similar approach for NIL? Yeah, it was a, it, there was a little carryover between the two in terms, again, I, you know, I talked a little earlier about how a student, not a student athlete, but how a student is able to use the university's intellectual property and how a student athlete is allowed to use the intellectual property. Same goes for an eSport athlete. There, there were, so yes, we borrowed some of those things. Um, I don't know that every one of them is exactly the same but we purposefully also and i think most universities have done this i don't know the numbers off the top of my head but a lot of times esports is set aside in a different area it's not in athletics uh, there was a lot of talk when esports first came to the front page was where does it go and many athletic departments said you know it's not really athletics and you've got this money issue and we just don't want to try to combine the two. So in, in, in Ohio State, it's it's governed by student life, not a, athletics. No, I think that's really interesting. And I, I think you're right. I think that's what we see with many of our, our colleagues on the institutional side. So, you know, just as we start to wrap up here, you know, Dave and I really appreciate you taking some time to talk with us this afternoon. As we noted, Ohio State's definitely pretty far along in terms of having a mature process to, to manage something that seems to be daily evolving. What advice would you give to your colleagues that might not be so far along in the process, that might be really just trying to still wrap their heads around, okay, NIL is here. Now what? Yeah, I guess I would go back to the beginning that we involved a wide variety of stakeholders that might have had any interest or expertise to lend to the conversation. That this was not two people sitting in a back room going like, you know, what are we going to do? And drawing up a short little list of, of rules that they wanted to abide by. I, I think my advice would be start with this and maybe end up here, but uh, you got to go here with a subject like this, especially one that nobody really understood how it was going to work and that operational piece. So we, we, we've we developed a cadence a little bit that's happened here that, you know, we had the big NIL SWAT team that dealt with, you know, and we're talking, 
you know, multiple people from every area on that group. And then there's also some very small working groups where it might be me, one person from compliance and one attorney talking about some of the day-to-day operational pieces. So, you know, I think you find out pretty quick how you think it's going to work. And then, you know, once it gets into practice, starting to hit a little bit of a, a pace. Yep, I think that makes a lot of sense. Start wide, get the right people in the room, and like you're saying, refine as you go along. Yep. All right, so appreciate the time, Adrian. Uh, excellent conversation. Really appreciate our listeners tuning in today. I uh, just want to remind everyone, subscribe so you get future episodes. A lot of good conversations to come. Rick, Adrian, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly US wherever you get your podcast.